Hi guys, and welcome to episode two of the Optics Warehouse podcast. Um, today it is just me, James, your host, uh, purely because we're going to be focusing on more my sort of area of expertise, and that is night vision and more specifically the thermal side of the market. So this episode is obviously called the Thermal Jargon Buster. And all I'm going to do is, as try as simply as I possibly can over a short period of time, is break down sort of the four or five elements of a thermal unit, uh, what each one represents, what it means when you look at the unit, and how, of course, that can, that can um, affect the price of what it is you're looking to buy, and, of course, um, eventually onto what suits your situation the best. Now, as we know... Uh, I mean, thermal thermal technology has been around for uh, quite a few years now, quite a substantial amount of years. Obviously, started off in a military environment, uh, came across to the civilian market at quite a high price tag. And there were various bits and pieces, like you had a certain sensor size and a certain frame rate. And then for the civilian market, it seemed like, wow, this is this is the, the, the bee's knee, so to speak, on the market. But of course... In the past sort of 10, 15 years or so, that has rapidly, rapidly improved for, um, for the, uh, I say for the civilian market, especially for the, for the hunting community. And not only that, as I said, the hunting community, yes, it's a big part of it, but of course it, it, it does filter down into other parts, obviously, say like nature reserves, um, charities looking for lost people, animals, etc. So it does, it's a multi, multi-purpose use piece of equipment. If we focus more on the hunting side of things, um, it boils down to two types of units. You either get your spotting monocular or binoculars, uh, or you get your uh, your thermal weapon scopes. Now, of course, each one has their own sort of price range. The thermal weapon scopes generally tend to be a bit more than the spotters, purely because there's just uh, a bigger unit, there's more technology inside, um, and they're relied on for being that much better at identification than the spotters are. I mean, traditionally, spotters, if you'd asked me sort of 10 years ago what people using um, as a thermal spotter, it'd be an old old um, Pulsar HD50S um, thermal spotter and then probably like a Starlight Archer or Longbow on the back of their back of their rifle scope because, well, I'd say thermal, thermal spotting and, and night vision shooting was, was the way forward because, they say, there's obviously you, you spot the heat blob, you say, right, okay, there you go, there's my rabbit, there's my fox, he's out there. You put the night vision on it and you can clearly identify exactly what it is and whether or not it's... Um, worth taking the shot or not um, however stuff has come on and on leaps and bounds since then and there's various different bits and pieces that can confuse anyone I mean it's hard enough keeping it keeping up with it um, there's pretty much a new unit coming out every week to be honest so it's trying to keep up with it with what's available on the market what's best for each consumer um, so let alone what it's like looking at as a consumer deciding what to buy just the once for your uh, for your dedicated setup I can I can only imagine so, as I say, there are a few elements to each thermal unit. So, the first one is obviously the lens size. The second one is the sensor size. Third is what the pixel pitch is. Fourth is the net D. And then fifth is we'll come on to is the field of view. So, I say the five five elements there that we're gonna we're gonna talk about. I'm just gonna discuss about here um, that obviously you need to think about um, before deciding what's gonna be best for your for your uses for your situation. So the first one is obviously the lens size. Um, the majority of units you'll see will either be a 38 slash 35 or a 50. Um, those are the two those are the two dimensions that are found to work best. 
uh, with with various thermal units. So of course, that if we take the, the Griffins for example, so you've got the GH thirty, the GQ thirty five, I should say, sorry, and the GQ fifty L, and then of course you go to the Pulsar equivalent. You've got the um, the XQ thirty eight, and of course you have the XQ fifty as well. So you've got the, they're the two sort of two sort of um, main lenses that are out there on the market, and of course what they they offer is uh, very different things. And there's a common common misconception that obviously the bigger the lens, the wider the field of view you're going to see. It's actually, and it is actually the other way around. Um, so if you have a 38 over a 50, you're going to get a wider field of view with a 38 than you would the 50. But because there's simply more material in the 50 on the germanium lens or um, vanadium oxide, um, vanadium oxide um, lens on the front, um, you're on a 50, and you're going to um, you're going to gain better detection. Um, of your target. So the 50 is really there for the detection, whereas the, the 38-35 is your better, your wider field of view. So then you might start thinking, right, okay, the 38-35, that's going to be more towards my, my spotter, perhaps, if you want to go for the spotter night vision route. Um, so there's not really that many variety, other variety of lenses. I mean, you get 25s, 15s, and 19s in the HIC range, and that's purely because it caters for different price brackets. And of course, you can you can uh, vary the fields, fields of view on that as well. So it just just caters for all, all sides of the market. Um, next one to really talk about is the sensor size, and you'll see two figures that are thrown on quite a lot, um, and that is 388 by, two, uh, 388 by 280, uh, and so it's a light 388 by 288, and 640 by 480. And what that basically means on the small sort of blotometer sensor that actually draws in the heat, that means the amount of pixels that can pick up heat on the unit. So um, obviously you can generate generate the image that you can see through your screen. Uh, so the 640 by 480, that is obviously the bigger one and the better one, hence the price difference. And so what I generally tend to say to people is, oh yeah, with both units you'll be able to tell that's a fox at 100 yards, there's no doubt about that at all. However, with the 640, um, you will be able to identify further in depth of the fur of the actual fox. And more importantly, a big key identifying factor of a fox, you'll be able to pick up the, the brush of the fox quite well. So if you can you can pick, that, pick those out um, fairly well, then obviously you're, you'd be good to go. I mean, it depends how much you go out foxing, really. I mean, I mean, personally, I go out foxing three, four times a week. So obviously a higher resolution high resolution thermal is going to suit me because I'm going to be seeing a lot of different animals out at night and it, um, it could vary between what the targets are and what, um, what's going to be best for my situation. So yeah, the, uh, I'd find, find the top of the range sensor to be better. I mean, if you're, let's say you're at close range stuff like ratting or rabbiting under 100 yards, you don't really need to go for a 640 by 480. I mean, it could very easily talk you into one. I mean, there's no, no problem with that at all. But of course, the 388 by 288 sensor it's going to be absolutely fine for those sort of distances. As I say, because it's the whole 100 yards thing, you'll still be able to identify what that animal is. There's no doubt about that at all. So if you're shooting rats at 25 yards, I mean, they're pretty easily identifiable if they're running around in a barn or something like that. So it's, um, you're really not going not gonna to struggle too much. You wouldn't, you wouldn't feel like you're losing out if you didn't get a 640 by 480 sensor unit. Um, it really sort of comes into play more so on the thermal weapon scopes, and I'll get into the ethics of it in a minute. But... If you were to choose a thermal weapon scope rather than a spotter, let's say, it's um, it's a tricky one. I mean, there's some super duper scopes out there at the moment. I mean, like top two on there at the market are obviously the Thermion 2 XP50 Pro LRF and the and the Stellar SQ50. I mean, both of them have some of the best sensors on the market available. 
um, and you can you can get a lot of good identification out of those things. But from I've been shooting for the best part of 12, 13 years now, and I, I'm still a firm believer that uh, you will never get a, as good identification um, as a thermal uh, as you would out of a night vision unit, and that's because it's just using using um, artificial light, whereas obviously you're relying completely on heat with thermal. So it's so it's an interesting ethical point of view. I mean, for someone, say, if you've been using a thermal spotter for years and years, and you move on to a thermal scope, yes, that's fine, because maybe you know what you're looking out for, but someone that's starting up, it's not something I'd recommend, because you, you just, uh, th- looking through a thermal weapon scope or a thermal imager, that can really, really sort of um, deter and, and not help your distances at night, because it really does... Um, make it it makes it look, look look a lot further away than it actually is at night and then if you drive past it during the day you think oh crikey look at that it's only like 80 yards away it looked about 200 yards away last night so it's so it's it's a tricky one to, to think about I mean if you're looking at it for the first time I wouldn't go for a thermal scope I stick with a night vision scope but say if you're a, if you're a seasoned thermal spotter shooter then yeah if you go for a thermal scope I mean it's complete covertness uh, you go for a top of range when I say like like the Stellar or the um, or the Thermion, and you're not, you're not going to go too wrong at all. And it brings on to the next characteristic, which is uh, Net D. Uh, so Net D uh, is the abbreviation for Noise Equivalent Temperature Difference. And what that basically means, it allows the, the lower that is because it's rated in it's measured in kelvins, which of course um a true measurement of, of temperature rather than degrees C or Fahrenheit. Um, it's it's a way of telling you that the sensor can pick up more heat, so or or lower heats I should say sorry. So if you have a unit like the Stellar SQ50, which has a sub 35 millikelvin rating, that means that it will pick up stuff at a lower temperature. So therefore, that as a counter, as a um, as a um, a point on from that, basically it means it can pick up a better identification of the quarry that you're shooting. Whereas you have something sub 50 millikelvin. What that basically means is you might not exactly get the identification there that you would with a sub 35. Even better than that, obviously the Pulsar now have sub 25, so they have. So again, as a as an effect on that, of course, you can just pick up a better identification. Um, Net D, as I say, it has been the biggest factor. I'd probably say over the past year or so, you keep seeing companies compete against one another, saying, "Oh, I've got a better Net D here, here, and here." Um, so it, it certainly is the latest thing to be the best on. There's no doubt about that at all. Um, However, I think one of the most important things to look out for, and on to the next one, is pixel pitch. Now, you will see on, let's let's take a, a Pulsar Helion 2 XP50 Pro, for example. If you look at one of the Optics Warehouse listings, that'll say on there, Pulsar Helion 2 XP50 Pro, 640 by 480, which we've already discussed, and then it'll say 17 UM, which means 17 micron. And what that means on the 640 by 480 sensor, it is basically the spacings between each of those pixels. Now, obviously, one micron is ridiculously tiny. Off the top of my head, I can't. I think it's one tenth, one ten thousandth of a, of a millimeter. I can't remember what it is exactly off the top of my head, but it's a minute measurement, just like that. And so, if those pixels are closer together, so seventeen micron is the standard average. So, if you get something that's got twelve microns, like the Stellar SQ50 or the, the Griffin GQ50L by Hit Micro, then you're going to get an even tighter definition once again. So you, so you tie all these things in. You've got a high res sensor. You've got a really close pixel pitch with 12 microns, you've got a sub 35 millikelvin rating, so something like the Stellar SQ50 or the Griffin GQ50L, those are gonna produce the best sort of image on the market available at the moment. So it's all these little things to take into take into consideration. So you can have 
a variety of different bits and pieces. You can have something that's got 12 microns, 12 microns spacing, be a 380 by uh, 388 by 288 um, sensor, but then, um, as I say, also have like a sub 40, sub 40, sub 50 millikelvin net D. That's sort of the stuff like the old Helians had. So then you can you can mix and match between each one. And so the the factor that really bumps the price up is that sort of um, the, the the sensor size of so the 388 or the or the 640. So as I say, you you mix between those three factors. And then obviously you go on to lens size and field of view, which I'll come on to in a minute. Um, then you're going to get obviously you'd whistle out as to which unit's going to be your your best one for um, for your application. Um, I've, I've mentioned, I briefly mentioned field of view. Obviously, I mentioned it with the lens system. I'll say I should have really tied it in, if I'm honest. But I say if you think about your field of view, so you need to think about your situation. I'm going to present two different situations here. So one. Let's say you're a rat shooter and you're shooting at 40, 50 yards in a barn. I mean, you're you're going to be in a sort of close proximity, don't need a massive field of view, so therefore you're going to pick something with a big lens so you get a better identification on it. I know it sounds sort of counterintuitive to what I said, said earlier on, but it's, as I said, every, all of these are, are all situation dependent. So if you have a 50mm lens um, looking at close range, you're going to get true identification of all the rats and rabbits that you're shooting. No doubt about that at all. If you're a fox shooter, it's you can swing swing each way. Uh, that completely depends, I would say, on the topography or the lay of the land you're shooting at. So uh, my personal experience, I shoot on Exmoor, do a lot of shooting on Exmoor. It's all big hills and valleys. Um, I need a nice wide field of view, so therefore I can have a good scanning ability and say, right, okay, yeah, there's a fox there, 200 meters over there. Oh no, there's one over there, 600 meters away. I know exactly where it is. I can move on to it quickly. I can then zoom in. Yes, I may not quite have the identification um, just as I would with a 50, should we say, but obviously with a 35 mil lens, um, the point is I've been able to get onto the target quickly. I can adapt to the situation, move closer, stalk into the animal, get it sorted, drop it, job done. So it's, um, so as I say, it, it, all of these factors, all five of these factors, they really are just completely individual dependent because as I say, no two individuals are going to be shooting exactly the same situation. I mean, they're going to be very similar situations, don't get me wrong, but I don't think you're going to find anyone that's in a sort of exactly the same situation. So hopefully what I've, I've gone over, hopefully I haven't bored you too much on this one, but as I say, obviously there's five key elements to um, to choosing your thermal spotter or thermal weapon scope. Um, if you take on board all these bits and pieces that I said, found, uh, factor in, say, right, okay, I need a bit more of that, not so much of that, all that sort of stuff, um, and just say, yeah, okay, all right, okay, that's better for my situation, that's not, so, okay, so let's let's favour that over something else, so then it decides, right, okay, whittles it down to that unit, right, okay, that's fine, now I know I need how much, how much I need to spend, or can I whittle that in my budget, can I not, I don't know, so it's just working it all out, is it is, it is key, because as... As I say, with thermal, it's an expensive game. There's no doubt about that at all. I mean, yes, you can get units at £380, but to be honest with you, they're really only sort of good up to 30, 40 yards. So it's, you really, you really have got to be exactly on it when you think, well, okay, this is what I need. This is what I'm going to use it for. That's going to be the best unit for you. Um, so it's, as I, as I say, this is fear of repeating yourself. Just really make sure you're aware of what you're doing, what you're shooting, where it is you're shooting, and then obviously your budget and tied into all of that as well. And then of course you can you can select the correct unit for you. So guys, as I say, that was just a quick thermal jargon buster. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. As I say this has been episode two of the Optics Warehouse podcast. Um, I should hope to get a guest onto the next episode. It's just this one's obviously a bit tricky 
not to have one on here. So obviously, because I'm, I say I'm hosting the podcast, and as obviously, well, I do all the um, all the night vision and thermal queries here. So obviously, it'd be like trust basically trying to interview myself. Um, so it wouldn't really work too well. Obviously, say we had John on the last episode. Hopefully, I'm going to get someone else from, from the member of member of staff here at Optics, uh, and they can talk about their speciality, what they feel in the fields. As always, guys, please feel free to email us any questions. Uh, we will um, we'll uh, answer them as best we can. We'll read them out on the podcast, and we'll say right, okay, and we'll, we'll discuss it between the uh, between the team members here. But for now, uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, obviously, don't forget to subscribe on your streaming service, whichever it is you choose, and we look forward to hearing from you next week. <laughs>